What we're trying to get people to realize is that brain health is more than absence of disease and injury. Brain health is being able to use your brain capacities to thrive, whatever your starting point. And there's multiple paths. Welcome to Brainstorm by Us Against Alzheimer's, a patient-centered nonprofit organization. Your host, Meryl Comer, is a co-founder, 24-year caregiver, an Emmy Award-winning journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Slow Dancing with a Stranger. This is Brainstorm, and I'm Meryl Comer. On today's edition, our focus is lifelong brain health, And our guest is Dr. Sandra Bond-Chapman, founder and chief director of the Center for Brain Health at the University of Texas at Dallas. She is also the author of the book, Make Your Brain Smarter. Dr. Chapman, thank you for joining us today. It's great to be here. Always fun to be with you, Meryl. Love it. You spark us into thinking in new ways. Well, we spoke first in 2020, just past the one-year mark in the COVID pandemic. And our focus was emotional and mental resilience. We still didn't know the long-term effects. It's 2023. You're a cognitive neuroscientist. How are we doing? You know, Meryl, I think the science is telling us that we're learning what it means to be resilient during the toughest of times. So we're not out of it, but I think we're definitely making progress. And when I think about resilience, it would be fun for me to go back and see how I defined it back then. But for me, resilience is the ability to be connected to people and to purpose. And that's what helps people to really see a way through in the toughest of times. And people didn't realize that that resilience is about connecting to people. And our technology, you know, in COVID, we were isolated from people and we were doing these Zooms and screens. And now we're learning to connect more and really celebrate each other in person. So it's really helped resilience. So how has it impacted your novel vision to focus on the brain's upward potential and your mission to ignite this brain health revolution? What we're trying to get people to realize is that brain health is more than absence of disease and injury. Brain health is being able to use your brain capacities to thrive, whatever your starting point. And there's multiple paths. You know, so many people think if there's one thing I could do better about my brain, it would be memory. Well, golly, our brain is so much more than memory. That's where we can offload on our technology. But for me, we're trying to define it and measure it. And the multi-factor ways is possibility thinking being able to come up with multiple solutions and generate ideas. And it's also what you just talked about, resilience, but it's this connectedness. People that have memory problems, but they have people in their lives that they can socialize with, as well as be driven by purpose, drives their brain health. And then the third big area that we find is emotional balance or calm. So I say our three C's, clarity, connectedness, and calm. How do you sort of hold a balance when your world is being turned upside down. And that's what our brain health helps us to do. So how does it relate to the understanding of neuroplasticity? Has that changed in any way? So Meryl, if I could get people to understand one thing, what neuroplasticity means is the greatest gift, but it's also could be a negative because your brain changes 
moment by moment by everything you do and how you use it. So brain plasticity, if our brain's changing, just listening to this podcast, your audience's brain will change. Are they being inspired by it? It will change in a positive way. If they are feeling negative and overwhelmed by the information, it will degrade. So how do we take advantage and harness this amazing gift of a brain that can become stronger day by day with simple steps? Neuroplasticity is a gift, but we need to really take care of this gift and make sure we nurture it to make it go in the best direction. Now, it was always thought that age sort of shut down that concept of neuroplasticity. Is that still the science or is it changing? The science is very clear that that is wrong. (laughs) We need to design a new normal. The way we think about the brain is outdated, that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. We have shown that whether people are 20, 40, or 80, we can see their brain strengthening, increasing connectivity, brain blood flow, corresponding to improvement in our brain health index. So absolutely, you if you're 97, guess what brain? You still have capacity to be strengthened. You know, our teeth, we don't give up on, but we do give up on our brain. And that's a shame because we actually have more backup systems in our brain than any other part of our body. Sandy, did you find any differences between the male and female brain? We definitely know that there are differences in male and female brains, the way we approach things. When we look at the science from our research to see who can improve the most, we're not really seeing that many differences. But the thing that kind of strikes me the most is women are three times more likely to take charge of their brain health. When we look at who's going to sign up, who's going to be curious, who's going to do things, 75% of the people that say, hey, brain, let's go be better, is women. So I love that women are the ones that carry the mantle for keeping us healthier and stronger and building community. And so for me, it's a positive thing, the gender difference. But it's also, we know that women's brains can be at risk for different culprits like Alzheimer's disease, but building capacity matters. So the female brain is really wired to to care about how do we make the world a better place, I think. And we're continuing to look at gender differences and using the best of both. And I think you taught us the last time that we talk about multitasking and women pride themselves on it, but the brain doesn't work that way. Did I remember correctly? You know, I I still think as much as I say it, it is getting out there more how toxic multitasking is, that it literally abuses the energy of your brain. It's almost like pushing the accelerator and the brake back and forth and fraying the neural connections. We see brain atrophy in people that are chronic multitaskers. And truly, it's because the brain isn't wired to do two things at once where it requires concerted effort. You have to toggle back and forth very rapidly. But our brain is such a fine-tuned system, it tricks us into thinking we really are multitasking. But reality, we're going to toggle back and forth very quickly. Think about how awful that must be on a system that you're going this test, that test, this test so quickly. You know, I wish if people could do one thing, we see very dramatic changes in stress when people stop multitasking. We see very dramatic improvement 
in sleep when people stop multitasking. Just that simple thing can significantly advance our brain health. Now, because you're on the cutting edge, (laughs) Dr. Chapman, in your view, there is so much conversation about artificial intelligence like ChatGBT. How does that relate to brain health or do we know yet? Yeah, both. I would say we don't know yet. I think as a cognitive neuroscientist, what I'm excited about is the possibilities. Our brain has so much capacities to double its performance. Our technology is allowing us to even double it more if we can offload the proper things. So with artificial intelligence, chat, GBT, what I'm curious about is how can we begin to help people use this kind of aggregator of knowledge where our brain doesn't have to do it very quickly and then use our human mind to create new ways of thinking. So what I'm very excited about is how can we use these new technology discoveries to optimize our brain performance? AI and computers will never be able to innovate, create new ideas, algorithmic thinking where you can think in new ways. But wouldn't it be nice to ask a question and have some of the best data that's at your fingertips? The problem is, is sometimes it's not accurate. And sometimes it's just what's quoted the most versus what really is the best. So that's why critical thinking and the human mind will always need to be the major driver of how we use systems like this. So yes, we don't know, but open to it. And I'm certainly ready to kind of see how we can catapult our own brain effort and energy by taking advantage of it where we can. Yeah. So on that point, is it an accelerator? For your work? We're going to find out. I don't know yet, but technology definitely is accelerating our efforts. So, with artificial intelligence, without that, we could never aggregate the massive amounts of data that we're taking in to see across the lifespan. Can 18 year olds, can 20 year olds, can 40 year olds, can 80 year olds? their brain, their cognition, their emotions, all of the measures that we're taking in. AI is helping us answer questions to make precision brain health possible. It would take the human mind really months and years to do it. The computer is allowing us to do it on an individual basis in literally hours. So yes, it's definitely catapulting the possibility of our discoveries to advance brain health faster, and we certainly need it in this age and time. Well, your Sandyisms, I call them Sandyisms. <laughs> what gets measured gets managed. Is that as true now? Yes. You know, what I think is interesting when I tell people, wouldn't you love to measure your brain health? They're like, whoa, I'm not ready for that. I think I'm fine. We still have a lot of stigma and most of our measures for the brain are not about, it's measuring what's wrong with your brain. So we're used to thinking, oh, if I'm going to go be measured about my brain, it means I'm worried about something. It means you're going to probably give me bad news. Either my brain systems, there's a stroke, there's atrophy, my memory's declining, my speed of processing. So you're right, what gets measured gets managed. We haven't been able to measure the upward potential of the human brain until now. 
And that's the conversation that we're trying to change. How do we measure the amazing capacity of your brain to get better? So it is truly a metric from wouldn't you want your best brain year to be next year versus last year? We haven't been able to measure that before. We now can measure that. Us Against Alzheimer's A-List and your center combined to put out a survey, and some of the responses to me were fascinating. One was that a majority of respondents now believe they can directly affect brain performance. Now, was that an aha moment for you? Did you say, yes, uh, people are ready for what we've been saying for decades? You're right, Meryl. What great news that people now believe that they can be agents of change, that there's things they can do that literally can improve their brain performance. We know about it for young people, you know, in learning and education, but we really forget it very early on. So the fact that 95% of people that were surveyed believe that they can have some control over the direction their brain can go, that's great news for us. Only 25% of those surveyed say that they set brain health goals. How do we change that? That's really still the dilemma. So we've got this awareness that your brain can change, but people don't know how to set goals. You know, and when I tell people, why don't you come and learn some tactical brain strategies to use? We're so overwhelmed and they're like, I don't have time. And I'm like, so they don't even know where to go to set goals. What would that mean? And so, you know, they start doing things that literally use up the brain that keep it busy but don't necessarily make it stronger. So we really haven't had a source for people to know, where do I set goals? And most people end up going back to heart health. So we have been able for the last four decades to do things to promote heart health. So usually when people think of brain health, they go back, oh, well, I need to exercise. You know, I need to reduce my stress and my cholesterol. Well, yes, those help your brain, but there's so much more you can do for your brain than just the heart. So yes, they aren't setting goals because they didn't know what they are. And even when they set goals, it tends to be overwhelming and not necessarily the things that will strengthen your brain. One last set of results from our joint A-list survey of healthy adults. 80% wanted access to information they could do at their own pace. 75% wanted the ability to measure their current brain fitness level, 62 wanted to track it with an app, and only 29% wanted feedback from a coach. Sandy, how do you interpret those numbers? Well, I think there's some good things from it that people want this kind of quick, we're into this, give me the feedback instantly. You know, we're used to wearing our Fitbits and our Apple Watches and instantly knowing, you know, how is my exercise doing and my heart rate? And, you know, so I know I'm in good shape versus how good is my sleep? How can we do that for the brain? I do think in the next years, we're going to see ways that people can see, you know, what is kind of what state is my brain in right now? And should I be doing this task that's requiring deeper level thinking, my concentrated effort? or innovation, or things that require that. So that's really our goal, is to almost develop a Fitbit for the brain that they don't want to coach. I think because it's like scheduling something, and we're used to thinking of coaches telling you what's wrong or taking up more time, and they just don't want to schedule one more thing in an already overcrowded, 
to-do list and day that's overwhelmed. You know, what we're finding is that people actually, when they get just a little bit of coaching, they understand more how to do the repetition that you're talking about because you're actually right. Just hearing good information doesn't change the brain. It's putting feet to those actions. How do I incorporate that strategy of thinking into how I use my brain? And one of the things that we tell people, unlike physical exercise, where you have to carve out 30 minutes, 50 minutes, three to five times a week for your brain, you're using it anyway. Why don't you learn how to use this engine properly? And so it really teaches you to be more efficient with this amazing brain engine. Our guest, Dr. Sandy Von Chapman, founder and chief director of the Center for Brain Health at the University of Texas at Dallas. Next time, we'll discuss her audacious goal to virtually enroll 120,000 healthy people from ages 10 to 90 plus in a 10-year study to track how their brains change in order to make them stronger and last a lifetime. Sleep is this amazing, magical elixir that changes the neuropharmacy while you're sleeping. It actually helps you solve problems that you didn't know you could solve while you were actively trying to do it the night before. During sleep, you connect dots in ways that you didn't know. That's it for this edition. I'm Errol Comer. Thank you for brainstorming with us. Our team is on a mission to help you stay up with the latest scientific breakthroughs, from new therapies to technologies on early diagnosis and personal brain health advice from well-known experts using an equity lens that promotes brain health for all. Now, we'd like to hear what's on your mind. What are the topics and guests you'd like to hear featured on Brainstorm? Send your comments to brainstorm at usagainstalzheimers.org. Support for Brainstorm by Us Against Alzheimer's comes from Genentech. Subscribe to Brainstorm on your favorite podcast platform and join us on the first and third Tuesday of every month.